Today we begin a new series for the next three weeks titled Climate Change. Climate Change. Now, let me just give you the disclaimer. This is not an environmental series. We're not going to talk about climate change, but we're going to talk about climate change. Okay? Climate change describes a change in average conditions, such as temperature and rainfall, in a region over a long period of time. Now, Earth's climate, the physical climate, Earth's physical climate is always changing. It's always changing. But the pace, but the pace has increased, has sped up significantly in the last few decades. Now, even in the smallest of ways, you and I, we adjust to climate change. Let me explain it this way. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. We adjust every season. We adjust the way we dress. We adjust the things we do. We adjust the places that we go. It's just the way we, we just adjust to it. Now, with the seasons, they're very systematic. They're, you, can you can expect about three months per season. That's what it is. They're, they're calendared very, very simply. But the climate change that we speak of spiritually is a little different. We're going to get to that. I wonder how often do we take time to observe the spiritual climate change of our society and within our culture and adjust accordingly. Now, we do that physically, but do we do it spiritually? So here's what I did. Wouldn't be any surprise that I went online and I searched three different search engines. Uh, I searched Google, Bing, and DuckDuckGo. Okay? So I searched three search engines with this in the search bar, climate change. Now you can imagine, I got tens of millions of responses. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. So I went through about five pages of just looking for certain things. Are there certain things that I might see? What might be some similarities between those pages? Now I didn't do five pages on every site, but I did five pages on Google, and I think I did five on Bing, and then two or three on DuckDuckGo, and I said, okay, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything different. And here's what I didn't see. I didn't see one time was it addressed about spiritual climate change. It was only physical climate change. So then I thought, okay, in fairness, let's change the search, let's change the search parameters. So I changed the search to say spiritual climate change. You know what I found? I found this, that we have a spiritual responsibility to take care of physical climate change. I went, well, okay. Now, I'm not, don't misunderstand me. I, we, I believe that God has given us a responsibility to be good stewards of the planet that he's given us. I believe that with 100%. But there was not a thing about spiritual climate change. Within the tens of millions of pieces of information. So, just so you know, this series is not about the what's and if's of physical climate change. It has nothing to do with it. It's not political. But rather, but rather, I see it as a necessary conversation about the spiritual climate changes we are witnessing within our world. Just as certainly as Earth's physical climate changes, the spiritual climate of our world is changing. It's changing. And the pace of that change is accelerating minute by minute. And the adjustments we make, if contrary to godliness, can be catastrophic. And it is important for us 
to, 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 to come together and, and understand and have a conversation about climate change. Our series will be less about the changes and more about our response to the changes. So here's a question with a statement. Do you want to be less surprised and more prepared when the next calamity occurs? Let's be more prepared and less surprised. Because I will tell you, there is a calamity that we have all experienced in the last 14 months. And I will tell you, it is not the last calamity that we are going to experience. So, the theme verse for this series is from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. And here's what it says. What kind of people ought you to be? That's really what it is. So I'm going to give you some ought to be's. All right? I'm going to give you three ought to be's today. I'm going to give you some more ought to be's next week and some ought to be's after that the third week. So what kind of people ought we to be? I don't know if you've thought much about last words or famous last words. There are some crazy last words that people have spoken over the centuries of time. Let me give you just three real quick. Joan Crawford was a Hollywood actress, uh, 40s, 50s, early 60s. Here's what Joan Crawford said. Listen to this. She said this on her deathbed to the nurse that was caring for her. Here's what she said. Her last words, don't you dare ask God to help me. Last words. Nostradamus. Nostradamus was that prophetic dude, odd dude. Uh, I, I don't know, odd, strange, whatever you want to call him. Here's what Nostradamus said. His last words, tomorrow at sunrise, I shall no longer be here. Sure enough, sunrise came and he was gone. His last words. One more. Harriet Tubman, who is uh, the Underground Railroad, freeing slaves from the South during, uh, during slavery. Phenomenal woman, phenomenal woman. Here's what her last words were. Are you ready for this? Swing low. Sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. She was ready to meet her Savior. Famous last words. Well, there's some last words that I think are really significant for us to consider this morning, and they're from the Apostle Paul. His last words are found in a letter that he wrote to his kind of son in the faith, Timothy. Second Timothy is, is in fact, the name of that letter. And Paul was in prison, and he was getting close to the time when he would be martyred for his faith. And this is what he wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will only love themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Speak to us today. Encourage us. Challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, what kind of people ought we to be? Three ought to be's. Number one is to be aware. Be aware. This is one of my very favorite images that I think just says so much about our awareness or lack thereof. 
And especially as people of faith, we dare not live our lives with our head in the sand, away from everything. You know, sometimes I think, you've ever heard this phrase, ignorance is bliss? I'm sorry, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. There are times that I would rather not know things, but when I begin to look at the condition of our world, it is absolutely imperative that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to be aware of what's going on. Now, you might be saying, well, Gary, I don't like what I see. I don't like this stuff. I don't, I don't like how it makes me feel. I, I get it. Marcy and I will be driving to the church and we'll start talking about current events, right? And I'll say, you know, you need to stop because I feel my blood pressure rising. Okay, I get it. I get it. But you know something? I dare not stick my head in the sand and be unaware of what's going on around me. It is something that you and I as followers of Christ must be. We must be aware. We cannot, we dare not be naive to the things that are, that are, moving, are, are moving around us. As I was preparing for this series over the last uh, number of weeks, there was a question I was faced that, that I had to grapple with. And it was this question. Is this, are we living in the end of days? Is this the end of days? Is this the end of time? Now there's a word when you begin to read some of the accounts that Jesus spoke about the end of days. He used a word, ready for this? Pestilence. Plague. I don't think there's anybody that has existed in the last 14 months that wouldn't say, we've kind of had a plague going on called COVID-19. So out of that, people say, well, is this the end of time? I mean, is, it, is this the end of time? And the short answer to that question is, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But there's a longer answer. And it's the longer answer we got to grapple with. This is not the end, but it's the beginning of the end. One more time, this is not the end, but it's the beginning of the end. And how can I say that? Well, you read in Mark chapter 13, the following, verse number three, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't, do not be alarmed. Have you heard of any of that stuff going on? Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Have you heard anything like that? Yeah, I think we have. And kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. Look at this. These are the beginning of birth pains. This is not the end, but it is the beginning of the end. Therefore, we are to be, as the people of God, aware that these things are present among us. The things that we witnessed and, and the things that we are witnessing is all signs, yes, but the end is not yet. But the climate continues to change and the pace of that change is ever accelerating. We've got to be aware. In the three accounts, that, what are called the synoptic gospels, the, the stories of Jesus that are similar to one another, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in each of those accounts, here's what we read. Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Mark 13, 37. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Be on the alert, stay awake, be continually cautious. Luke 21, verse 34. 
Watch out, don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap. For that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times. Do you notice similarities between the three? There is this call by Jesus to be alert, be on watch, be aware of what's going on. He is very clear. We are to be aware. The question confronts all of us. If this is the beginning of the end, when the end comes, will we be ready when the end comes? It is a question that every one of us in this room must consider today. Will we be ready when the end comes? You see, if we're not aware of the happenings around us, if our head is in the sand, and as the climate continues to change, we could be caught unprepared to meet God. And so the question to all of us this morning, are you ready to meet God? Because every one of us in this room will stand before him, ready or not. And my, my concern and my challenge and my hope is that everyone this morning will say, I'm ready to meet God. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So, the first ought to be is to be aware. The second ought to be is to be informed. It's to be informed. Now, many call the age in which we live the information age. And there's a lot of information available, as I've kind of highlighted it. But let me give you a little example. Here's some statistics. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. What I'm going to tell you is just crazy. During the year of 2020, okay, 1.7 megabytes of data was downloaded, or let me, let me back up. I said it wrong. I just blew it. It's created, excuse me. 1.7 megabytes of data was created by every living person on the planet during 2020. That's a lot of information. Listen to this. In the last two years alone, 90% of the world's data has been created in the last two years. 90% of the information, the data that's out there has been created. Listen to this. 95 million photos and videos are shared every day on Instagram. And some of you have all 95 million on your phone right now. It's true. It's true. This blows my mind. Every day, 306.4 billion emails are sent, and they're all in my inbox. <laughs> One more. Every day, 500 million tweets. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of information. But what do we do with it? How do we, how do we navigate this information? I apologize for my microphone. It's driving me out of my mind today. I apologize. What do we do with it? In 2018, I referenced a book in our vision message titled Hope of Nations. It was written by John S. Dickerson, and I want to highly recommend it. Uh, it is worth the read. It, 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 it will challenge you. It will encourage you. Hope of Nations. In that book, and I'm going to be sharing over the next three weeks a, num a bit of information from that book again, going a little deeper dive into it. But John shared five things near the beginning of the book he says five forces that are shaping the world, okay? Five forces that are shaping the world. I want to talk about those for a few moments. 
The first one, and this is really the information we've got to kind of grapple with. The first one is this. Humans are sinning. Humans are sinning. That is shaping the world. Now, understand, some of the, as we look at this, yeah, well, that doesn't come in a big surprise, Gary. You know, yeah, sure, humans are sinning. Scripture says it. You know, everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glorious standard. Yeah, that's true. We get it. Humans are sinning. You see, sin is at work in the world. But as the climate continues to change, don't be surprised that sin increases exponentially. Now, that may, again, may not come as any big surprise. I could spend literally the rest of our time together this morning and go detail after detail after detail and show you over the last 50 years of how what once was unthinkable has been normalized by our society. In every media outlet, it is now normal to see certain things we never would have thought we would ever see 50 years ago. You say, 50 years, that's so long. Is it? Not really. It's basically a generation. Not only, not only do we see things that are unthinkable, but traditional values are mocked. Because I believe in a traditional marriage of man and woman for life, I'm mocked because of what I believe. And not only that, I'm canceled because of that. No, you, you, don't have, you have no right. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm just speaking God's word. That's all. Hear me. Cancel culture then is celebrated. And humans, just remember, we're sinning. So I have a suggestion. You ready? I have a suggestion. How about we cancel sin and live righteous lives? How about that becomes the norm in our life? That we cancel sin and we live righteous lives. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse number 12, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Humans are sinning. The second force that is shaping is that Satan is scheming. Satan is scheming. Now, I'm not one to say that Satan is under every rock. Uh, no. But I'm telling you, he's busy. He's at work. He's at work. You see... Satan works in the realm of ideas. He works in the realm of ideas. And whoever controls the ideas controls the power. So when you see ideas that are contrary and counter to the things of God, you can see the handiwork of the adversary of our souls below it all, pulling the strings, pushing the buttons. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy, John 10, 10. Jesus said, I've come you might have life. 2 Corinthians 2.11, we're not unaware of his schemes. Ephesians 6.11, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He just keeps showing up. We need to be informed that he is scheming, that humans are sinning, that Satan is scheming. The third is that ideologies are warring. There is a conflict happening within our world. There are ideologies that are warring against one another that are shaping everything that we experience. And it's important to understand that bit of information. Now, just as an example. Now, one of the things I promise you in this series, I'm not going to be political. Now, I may use some examples that are political, but they're just examples. I'm not trying to make a statement about anything. I'm just reporting, essentially, what I have discovered. In 2016, there were three different news outlets or media outlets of some sort 
Voice of American News, Pew Research, and the Journal of Democracy. Each one of those three reported, concluded this, that American millennials, now that is a generation that we, we hear a lot about, okay? American millennials, hear this carefully, have recently swung to prefer Soviet-style socialism over traditional American capitalism. I hope you understand the gravity of that statement. That is a godless ideology. I'm not saying capitalism is all that great. Because when you have godless people with capitalism, it ain't going to be good either. But Soviet style is godless at its very heart. That's what's preferred. Now this, but it continues. No longer believe, they also no longer believe that democracy is necessary to accomplish the goal of bettering society. So throw it out. It's not any good. So you see, there's an ideology war here. There is a conflict between ideologies and philosophies of how life is lived. It's a war that's happening. 2 Corinthians 10. We use God's mighty weapons and worldly, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, the ideologies, and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle and keeps people from, that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. You see, it is important that we understand this. We are to be informed. We're to be aware. We're to be informed. The fourth is that Western civilization is unraveling. In other words, the fabric of what we have become so accustomed to is just falling apart at the seams. It's fraying every time we turn around. We, we think, what is going on? Let me give you an example of that. Last summer, I don't think there's a person living in the U.S. that wasn't just kind of overwhelmed and appalled by what we saw in our streets. We saw riots. I hadn't seen anything like that in 50 years. I mean, I just, I couldn't remember a time when things were so much in upheaval. And then it came right home. It was right here in our community to where this happened. A curfew was imposed. You remember the curfew? Be home by certain time and don't go out of your house. What? Marcy and I happened to be on. We were out that evening getting takeout and taking a drive or something. We, I don't know what day it was. We were out sometime in that period of time. Here's the point. We started to come home. We were driving down through Old Town and we couldn't get through Old Town because it was so crowded. So we turned and we went up by, the, by City Hall. In front of City Hall were about 50 sheriff's officers. And I went, we went, we looked at each other going, what is going on? They had, they had provided a barricade in front of City Hall. We're going, what is happening? So we drove farther and we couldn't turn where we would normally turn to go home. And we went, well, now what are we going to do? So we went down another direction and came up another way and we got to our neighborhood because it was closed off. You couldn't go through the street. It was literally blocked off and sheriff's officers are there. So we went another way and we got up to our neighborhood finally and it was blocked off. You couldn't get into our neighborhood. Sheriffs have, have completely closed it off and we went, well, we live there. How are we going to get in? So we drove up and very, very nice uh, sheriff's deputy came up and she asked me, she said, are you a resident? And I said, yes. I said, we live right here. She said, can you prove that that is your home? And I went, yeah. So we pulled it out. I said, very good. Enjoy your evening. Stay safe. And I went, all right, this is just weird. And here's the thought. 
I never would have suspected to see that or experience that in the United States. But what it tells me is that the climate is changing. Understand, Western civilization is unraveling. It is coming apart, even as we speak. Psalm 11 and verse 3 says, The foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? We can be aware, we can be informed. Those are two things that we can do. So, understand what, what Paul says. The text reads that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Not just difficult times, but very difficult times. In other words, the climate is changing and it will continue to change and it will exponentially, it will accelerate, it will get worse. The calamities are going to increase, not decrease. While we are to be aware, we also should be informed, but never afraid. Okay, this is, this is a turning point in this message. And you've got to get this into your heart. One of the things that has grieved me so significantly over the last 14 months is the fear that has gripped God's people. I want to tell you, people of God, we have nothing to fear. God is God. God is in control. And we need to trust Him. You see, I gave you four things, didn't I, that were shaping the world. I want to give you a fifth. You ready? And I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to set this up for an amen. And this place should come unglued with an amen when I say number five. You got it? Well, that was terrible. You ready? You ready? All right. Well, that's better. That's better. We're getting there. Here we go. Number five. Christ and his people are prevailing in the midst of everything in the midst of everything jesus christ's kingdom is being built and you as a follower of jesus christ you're prevailing you're prevailing do not live in fear friends don't live in fear let me let me explain it this way i i'm not a good swimmer i swim but i'm you know if i if i was on a cruise out in the middle of the ocean and i fell overboard i just say jesus i'm coming home you know I just get it. You know, it ain't, I'm, I'm not a good swimmer, but I'm not afraid of the water. I respect the water. I respect the ocean. I get in the ocean and I enjoy it. But I also know that I'm not going to get myself into a place where I'm compromised because I can't, I'm not good. So I take care. And that's what I'm saying. Don't be reckless. Don't be careless. But do not live in fear in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. Because it is a trick of the enemy. He is scheming under the scenes to erode your confidence and your faith and your trust in Jesus. Don't let it happen. Don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. You see Matthew 16, verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. It's not Peter he's talking about. He's talking about the declaration that Peter made because he was asked this question, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon that rock, that confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. We need to understand that. We need to be encouraged by it. When the, king, when the world shakes, Christ's kingdom will not shake. One more time. When the world shakes, Christ's kingdom will not shake. 
We need to get it into our hearts. We need to live it. We need to believe it. We need to be informed and stay informed. Since we are receiving a kingdom, the writer of Hebrews says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. 1 Corinthians 7, listen to the time. That time is of the essence. There is no time to waste, so don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Listen to this. This world, as you see it, is fading away. These words were penned nearly 2,000 years ago, and if it was fading away at that moment, it's fading away even quicker at this moment in history. You see, if that is true, then I want to encourage you in this regard. I want you to pursue faith. I I want you to pursue your faith more than you've ever pursued your faith. It's time to be dedicated to the things of God unlike any time in your past. It is, God, it, is a, it is time for us to stand up and be counted for the things of God. This gathering on a Sunday morning has got to take priority in your life. Life groups have got to take priority. Serving has got to take priority. The, the rhythm of ministry as we move back into the, what that looks like has got to be a priority in your life. Because scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, this is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have informed, or excuse me, have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently encouraged, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the day dawning. In other words, when the end comes, we need to be found together in a place where we are lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. We are worshiping in awe and in fear of the Lord. Our lives need to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ more than they reflect anything else. It needs to be the priority of our life. It's imperative. It's imperative. So secondly, we ought to be informed. And lastly, we need to be courageous. We need to be aware. We need to be informed. We need to be courageous. There's something that Paul says here that is startling. And I am running out of time. I'm over time by a lot, so forgive me. Don't forgive me. I'm not going to. It's okay. We're going to go until we're done, okay? All right. 2 Timothy 3. Paul said this. He starts about talking about the very difficult days. Then he gives a list of 19 different things, and I'm going to go through each one of them individually. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. 19, all right? Here's what he says. For people will love only themselves and their money, Think about these qualities, these characteristics. Okay, think about them as I read them. They'll only love themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. What? What? Wow, that's kind of harsh, Paul. What are you saying? What he's saying, I would summarize it like this. We are to be godly influencers, not influenced by the ungodly. It is time that we stand up for what we believe as people of faith, unashamed, courageous in the power of the Holy Spirit, unashamed, and believe that God will help us and use us to be an influence in your neighbors, in your family, in your friends, everywhere that you walk, to be an influence for God. It's so important because the time is short. We live in difficult days. This is the beginning of the end. Matthew 5 tells us you're the light of the world. 
Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And quite honestly, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage not to compromise our standards of morality for the sake of acceptance. It's going to take courage to live with integrity regardless of the pressure to live otherwise. It's going to take courage to live biblically in the face of relative truth claims. Spiritual courage, spiritual courage is on the endangered character quality list. It's just not there. We would much rather be accepted than to stand for what is right. We are fearful of living a life that honors God because we don't want to be canceled. But we have a responsibility to be influencers, not to be influenced. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says, be careful, hold firmly to your faith, have courage, and be strong. You can do that. I can do that. The power of the Holy Spirit in my life and in yours. We began today with this phrase. Do you want to be less surprised and more prepared when the next big calamity occurs? I would suggest let's be more prepared and less surprised. Because I'm going to give you a word of encouragement right now. Ready? Calamity is on the horizon. You go, oh, thanks a lot. Boy, I sure appreciate that, Gary. It's going to ruin my Sunday dinner. I don't want to do that. But it is important for us to understand that the calamity that we still participate in today, it's not the last one. We live in difficult times. Paul said, no, you live in very difficult times. And we need to be prepared for it. 2016, Marcy and I were so we had just celebrated our 40th anniversary, and we, uh, we went to the Caribbean for our 40th anniversary trip. Really looking forward to it. We, went October, we left October the 6th, 2016. Not real significant to y'all, but what was happening was pretty significant. Uh, this, is a 30, this is our 30 to 35,000 foot view that we had. We were flying through Hurricane Matthew. Did you hear what I said? Flying through Hurricane Matthew. It was delightful. It was five hours of just getting beat up in our seats. We were locked in our seats, in our seat belts, just getting thrashed. And as far, literally, I'm not kidding, as far as you could see, all you saw was the hurricane. It was, on the one side, it was kind of like, wow, this is cool. On another side, it wasn't all that good when you think about what the people on the ground were doing, because this is what they were doing. When they saw that the hurricane was approaching, they started to prepare. They started boarding up their windows, making sure that sandbags were in front where there may be a storm surge. They were preparing with food and water and medical supplies. Why? Because there was a calamity that was bearing down on them. They were aware of it. They got informed. They took courage to be prepared for what was on the horizon. The question for every one of us in this room, whether you have known Jesus for 50 years or whether you've known Jesus for 15 seconds, are you ready? Are you prepared for the calamity that's coming? It's as simple of a question as I can ask. Are you prepared? 
And the way that you prepare is that you put your trust in Jesus. Because his church and his people are prevailing. Regardless if things go completely crazy, you're protected. The relationship that you have with Christ. Understand, whether we live, whether we die, we belong to Jesus. Doesn't matter. So here's a little phrase for you. And it's an important one. If you choose Christ, it's going to get better. If you choose Christ, it's going to get better. If you don't choose Christ, it's going to get worse. If you choose Christ, it's going to get better. If you don't choose Christ, it's going to get worse. Here's my encouragement to you. Choose Christ. Choose Christ. You say, Gary, I already know him. Praise God, I'm glad you do. But sometimes, even in the knowledge that we have of Christ, we don't choose him. We choose everything else. Everything else pushes him to the side. I'm going to say it again. Calamity's coming, friends. Calamity's coming. We've experienced a little bit of what it's like. And if you think that's as bad as it's going to be, Oh, I wish I I could say it is. But as I read God's word, I know it's not. But as a child of God choosing Jesus, he will take care of his own. And that's what I desire for you. Choose Jesus.